Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. I am joined by my good friend and the Athletics Iowa beat reporter, Scott Dachterman. Scott, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy the introduction when people say the athletic Scott document and I'm like, yeah, I haven't been athletic now <laughs> at least 30 years, but uh, yeah. So uh, I appreciate you having me back on the uh, formerly known as the on Iowa podcast. Yes. Some great times as the on Iowa podcast, <laughs> you know, but I don't know, maybe you could have a pretty good pickup game. If there is a Hawkeye beat writer, five on five basketball. Um, oh, yeah. God. Oh, hell. Oh, no, <laughs> not that sport. <laughs> All right. I take no, that maybe, back then. Yeah, maybe shooting pool. Um, right. I, I, you know, I, but I'm, I can fake my way through that um, after not playing very often anymore. Uh, yeah, there's maybe pop a shot. How about that? Not, not right. five on five, but I'll, I'll go to the, we'll go to an arcade. Shoot. You know, you might be better than Caitlin Clark on the pop a shot after that um, video. Yeah, I, I still doubt that. I, mean, I think your competitive juices will get past me on that. Yeah, good point. Well, let's switch gears here to actually Iowa football, which I think people are probably a little more interested than your athletic pursuits. <laughs> so um, now we're about two-thirds of the way through the spring season. It's time gone by fast. Um, so let's first talk about the offense. I think the biggest question mark going into this has been around quarterbacks. Obviously, we haven't got a great solution to it, having seen 30-ish minutes of practice and then hearing from players here and there. And the only quarterback we heard from is Petrus. It's clear Petrus, though, does have a plan for how he wants to improve in 2022. Well, he does. He's always been a very committed player, and he's always done so much off the field and and really after being around almost all these quarterbacks he's got as good of a mind for the game of football as anyone I've been around and a great work ethic and he's gone out to you know New Jersey and and worked on his fundamentals you know very you know you know he does so many different things to try to improve his game um and you know, and he's, he's tough-minded, he's committed. It's just a matter of performance and execution for him. That's, it's really what it comes down to because he hits, he checks every other box you want. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as leadership, yes, he's there. He's all in, um, you know, toughness. He's, he's proven he can do that too. Um, uh, you know, is he a winner? Well, they've won when he's been the quarterback and, and uh, you know, just commitment. And does he love football? Absolutely. All of those things are, are really in his favor. It's just, it gets down to what happens on Saturdays yeah. and executing on third down and passing and, and, you know, all those, that, those details are the most important things to people because that's what they watch. They don't care what he does in practice. I've heard that from another sports too, where the, this guy makes all the shots in practice, but I don't get, you know, he <laughs> makes, you know, 20% from three in the game. It doesn't really matter what he did in practice. And, and so I think that's right now it's, it's understandable why there's some frustration among the fan base that he may win it. I do think he can improve though. And if he can go from, you know, 56%, 57% completion percentage to 63. That is a big difference. That's, 
that's a lot of third down passes that could go in his his direction. And if he can do that, you know, this team's going to be better. Now, is it going to be better? Is it going to be more entertaining? He's not going to run, like, take your pick out of any of your favorite. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get a runner. It's Think Tom Brady. But he's got to complete those passes and, and get the ball out of his hands faster. <laughs> so, yeah. A know, big difference a between Tom Brady's completion percentage and Spencer Petras's completion percentage last year. Yeah, there's yeah, and a lot of other things too. And <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that, you know, that it, but I don't know, John. I mean, what do you think? I mean, do you think this is a, a legitimate quarterback competition or do you think this is just one that hey we're calling it a competition but it's it's skewed towards the incumbent I think it's easy to say competition so you know I think sometimes talk can be a little cheap there but you know the fact that even just kind of the way that they've operated where you know we've only talked to one quarterback and that's Spencer Petras you know they when it was a little more open maybe we'd hear from Padilla so I think that's maybe a small little sign too. So I think it's maybe a little bit of the, yeah, I wouldn't put too much faith on it being the wide open thing that, you know, Kirk Ferentz has said at times, Brian Ferentz has said, yeah, I think the way that they've kind of been acting, it seems like at least like it's Petrus's job to lose. And I think to Petrus's credit, he's well positioned to improve. Yeah. So, you know, he slimmed down to your credit. You're just one pound off on guessing his weight when he asks. So I yeah. should go to the circus for that one. Right. That's, yeah. You know, <laughs> that could be your side gig. Yeah. I mean, my side hustle is guessing people's weights. I'm sure that would go over well, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, the thing is with Spencer, um, he's, he wants to be good. And so you've mm-hmm. got to give him the credit for that. And, oh, yeah. I'm, and, and I know people can go, oh, yeah, well, I want to be good. Too. Well, that it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. The wanting to be good means you're putting the effort into being good. And he's doing that. He spent his spring break at a quarterback trainer in New Jersey. It's not like yeah. he was on with Nico Regani too. Right. You know, it's not like he's in a beach in Daytona or, or down in uh, you know South Padre Island or, or someplace like that. I mean, he, he really wants to get better because he knows this is an important season. Now, I do think it's a competition, but I think it's they're, they've kind of wiped everything away, um, the, the equity away, and they're evaluating it on the day-to-day. And who's better at the day-to-day? Right now, it's Spencer Petras. If they had a game on Saturday, he's starting because he knows the offense and he can get everybody involved. Now, what Brian Ferentz said, and I kind of understand, is they're not at an equal level right now. I mean, no. Joey Labus does not know the offense like Spencer Petras. He probably won't for that matter. But mm-hmm. can he know it enough to where he can get everybody in and out and do everything he needs to do so then they can evaluate it on, okay, completion percentage in practice and all the other factors that really matter. You know, that's, that's where it's going to be fascinating. I don't see this being a job won by May. I think it'll probably be kids day ish in mid August, maybe a little later than that, that they'll kind of call it. And I don't think it's fair if they did it anyway, because to Alex Padilla, for instance, um, mm-hmm. would he have come back if he didn't have at least an opportunity to compete for the job, you know, because his time is finite, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. if you don't get, you only you don't get win so the many job, years. 
have. You don't win the job this spring and or this summer, you know, then you have one more year left. Now you have your COVID year, so there's a mulligan somewhat, but but still, you know, you want to make sure you maximize your opportunities. And if it's just a sham um, competition, then it, then it isn't. Now, you know, it's just, there are just so many different little things, you know, such as, you know, efficiencies, uh, you know, here, you know, here's a couple of things, um, you know, they were pressured on 33% of their dropbacks. That is not a winning number by the offensive no. line. Now they um, can do something about it a little bit, but not a lot. That is, and we saw it, they got pressured and uh, that ranks 79th in the country. You know, the year before it was only 24%. So Alaric Jackson made a big difference. So did Mark Kallenberg. Um, and then there's, you know, like Petrus was, you know, okay. As far as when he got rid of the ball at two and a half seconds, completed about 64%. But then afterwards it was 51%. So what it shows is when longer developing plays, he's less accurate. Is it because he's less decisive? Is it because he's inaccurate? Is it because there's too much pressure? Yes. To all of it. He's just got to be better. And, and I think there are some factors at play that can help him too, because you get a little bit of a change with mm-hmm. Ken O'Keefe retiring, Brian Ferentz coaching quarterbacks. And I think the piece of that, you know, more so than why well, I just said Brian Ferentz coaching quarterbacks, the addition of John Budmeyer, who seemed to be at least in the part of practice that we saw almost like the more technical quarterback coach, even though he has that analyst title officially. You know, maybe having him as an experienced quarterback, you know, maybe that helps a little bit too. So I think that's a, another thing that maybe is a little bit of a wild card in there because with Petrus, it seemed like it was almost two versions of him, the first half of the year and the second half of the year. Yeah. And if you... that, that was based on injury in a lot of cases. He was, he was legitimately hurt a couple of times. And then the other part was they did play much better defenses. Oh, yeah. Um, Iowa State even looked very good. But Iowa State did have a very good defense. But they the, the second half of the season, when he got hurt at Wisconsin, you know, he didn't play. You know, he played one series at Northwestern. He was out for Illinois and Minnesota in the first half at Nebraska. And then um, the, the only game where they <laughs> looked the part was kind of Kentucky. And yeah. uh, even then he had opportunities and it didn't work out. So I, I do think when you look at this team, John, and I'm sure you are, is evaluating it. Their strengths are their defense. Their defense mm-hmm. is going to win them games and keep them in games where they maybe they have no business winning. Their special teams will add that layer that helps them. You know, we saw it a lot last year. Can the offense put themselves in a position to win those games that they're you know, to, to be a winning football team in 2020, they were, and it was really unfortunate for them. They had such a slow start because they were really good by the end of the year. But if the quarterback can complete 60%, if they can run the ball for three, 4.3 yards per carry, and that's not even really good numbers. Those are just kind of baseline numbers. Then I think, okay, they can control the line of scrimmage. They can run the football with effectiveness and they can complete third down passes. And then especially in the red zone, that's been, that was a disaster. <laughs> last year um you know four touchdown passes in the red zone and two interceptions nate stanley threw 47 touchdowns in the red zone and one inter. so yeah, they got to be better there but and i think so, that 
you know, fourth and one in the Purdue game probably still stings a little bit, you know? Yeah. There are some missed opportunities there. Yeah. The interceptions. I mean, they had a couple of strong kick returns and then the, yeah, the sneaks and then the fullback dives at, at Wisconsin. And what that told me at that point in the season was when you go those plays back to back is you don't trust your full offense. You don't trust your tackles and you don't trust what your offense can do. You're just trying to squeeze the last drop of ketchup out of the bottle. And they weren't very good, you know, and then because those were frankly winnable games. Now the score didn't indicate that, but the opponents based on the past, I, you know, even Iowa giving up 24 points over it against Purdue. So what, you know, that happens, you know, you got to score 31, you know, they they scored 24 the year before and it didn't feel like some, you know, magnificent, you know, mountain of, of issues. And then, you know, Wisconsin scored 27, but that was self-inflicted in a couple of those situations. So, but even then, if you have a decent offense, you can, you can respond, you can score. I mean, you know, keeping teams in the twenties across the board in college football is not a death sentence. Oh yeah. But at Iowa, felt those like games, it. the defense did enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, at Wisconsin, they have a goal line stand. And then the very next play, your running back drops the ball, doesn't even get it tucked in. And, and you can't do anything if you're a defense about that. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't go and then, all right, we're going to have another goal line stand against that team. You know, you know what you're going to get. And eventually they're going to, you know, they pin and pull you right to death. And, and so that's, uh, but anyway, I think getting back to what they can do and what Brian Ferentz can do is simplify it, streamline it. And then, it, and then you've got to have the players execute. There is some truth to Brian Kirk or whatever, talking about execution, mm-hmm. make the makeable plays. There were a lot of makeable plays they left on the field. And had they made some of those plays in the passing game, that would have helped them along. I think, you know, the Kentucky game, that was winnable. They were the better team. Oh, yeah. And they found you, a way not to win. Any two things. You know? And it's a much different game. Right. Well, you lose by, you know, and, and what happens is if you play that style of football, eventually your defense will give up a play. It just happens. It, it doesn't matter how good you are. It, it's just the way it is. And so when they relied, and they're, they're again, you know, fourth and inches, didn't trust your offense to win the game. You get that first down, you win the game. Instead, no, let's punt and put all the pressure on your defense. Well, they've got an NFL wide receiver in Wondale Robinson, and he made a big play on a really good defensive back. And, you know, that, that happens. Yeah. And so, on the you know, Big and then, Ten and you still have the ball. The huh? On the Big Ten defensive back of the year, no less. Right. Yeah. And it happens. Those things mm-hmm. happen. It's not, you know, he's not going to be Deion Sanders out there. But I think what, but then the next step is, okay, well, they got one. We got the ball. We can go score and instead throw an interception. That's, that's, that's the problem. And that's where they got to face. And that's where it's, it comes down to quarterback. Um, and it's not an impossible situation. I mean, I, I remember CJ Beathard was the type of guy who tipped the field a little bit. He was out there. He had a little bit of swagger and he can make plays and he can run for first downs. The thing is in Iowa's offense, if you cannot run the ball as quarterback, then, uh, okay, that's fine, but you better complete 65% of your passes. <laughs> and when you're completing 55%, 
and you're throwing 10 interceptions to 12 touchdowns, you're you're putting way too much pressure on a, a great defense. And, and that and was a lot of those passes weren't exactly, you know, Herculean throws that they were trying. You know, there were a lot of missed short passes mm-hmm. that really should be high percentage. And, you know, I think the common kind of defense against using completion percentage is obviously deeper throws, lower completion percentage. But it wasn't exactly like, you know, they were really stretching the field there. Keegan Johnson, true freshman, had as many 40-plus yard catches as all the other receivers combined, Mm -hmm. as all the other wide receivers, I should clarify, combined. So, you know, that's the other thing, too, is when you're looking at it schematically, it really, as you were saying, those low 60s, I think that's the difference. And I think another key thing is the offensive line. Mm -hmm. I think when going out of the Citrus Bowl, I thought pretty highly of this offensive line. I was thinking, okay, Winderbaum's gone. We've got some other pieces, but it's going to be tough too. When you lose another guy like Cody Ince, who, you know, really has been an established guy that's played a lot of games. Yeah. He was, unfortunately, he's, he's just too banged up. He's, his body's in bad shape and, you know, you don't want to cut yourself short. You want to at least give yourself an opportunity. He couldn't. And it's, it's really too bad because I thought he was all big 10 capable Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, you know, get to the next level capable, it's, uh, you know, in some way. So, yeah, you got to kind of go back to square one. And, and the thing was, I thought that they were much better against Kentucky running the football, that they were able oh, yeah. to kind of do more of what they wanted to do. And, and you know, like Tyler Goodson was, is a terrific running back, but I think, you know, he was better served when there was more, a little bit more space outside zone, you know, which was 2000 or 2020, I should say, with, with Alaric Jackson out there, he got such great push on the edge that there were lanes. And then he could, you know, his cutback ability was, was really solid. And, but the problem was last year, a lot of times the holes weren't there and he tried to make something out of nothing, but a, there were a lot of missed uh, opportunities, uh, you know, to get even one yard, to get zero yards. Instead, he got a lot of, uh, you know, minus two and three yards. And, and when you're second, 13, and this offense with this passing game, forget it. I mean, you know, you might as well just punt at that point. Um, but, <laughs> you know, so I, I think what they did was they simplified it a little bit more. You saw more of a consistent and confident push out of the offensive line. They ran a lot of inside zone, you know, because you had the best center in the country, but, but also you had other players around them that really looked the part. And I, I don't think they want to just run all inside zone next year. <laughs> you might as well. No, I think their strengths are a lot different now on yeah. that line. You know, so you have two really good running backs. I really like the way they ran. I think they worked better with what they had, which was, mm-hmm. which is still growing. Now going forward, um, yeah, it's 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 going to take some time for this to gel. It might take six eight games for yeah. it to gel. It, you know, this is not something you think from day one. Oh wow, this is going to be the reclamation of the two thousand two Iowa offensive line, <laughs> or even two thousand eighteen, or whatever. Um, 
but I, I think they've got some potential. Mm-hmm. I, I like uh, Connor Colby. I think is going to be outstanding. I think Mason Richmond's really got some upside too. I want to see. I think Colby his, could be all Big Ten conversation by the end of the year. Yeah, I think so. Really? We'll see. I mean, that might I'm be a little bit on my part, but yeah, I'm not ruling it out. But I think he's he's on that track. I don't know if this is the year for that, but maybe. Maybe I don't, know. I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give him a ceiling. Um, but Mason Richmond, I thought was really good at times last year. I thought at other times he really struggled. Um, Jack Plum had some ups and downs, um, but Iowa tends to have a senior that kind of steps up and is has it becomes that great story uh, on the offensive line. It happens almost every year. I mean, Kyler Schott was kind of that way last year, and in the past you've had. Um, you know, gosh, uh, Keegan Render and Bryant, or uh, Ross Reynolds and, and just players that come out and all of a sudden they're second team all Big Ten. And you're like, wow, you know, okay, I guess it wasn't so bad. But really what's what's important is how are the younger players going to respond? You know, can a David Davidkoff or a Bo Stevens or uh, – Or a Logan Jones. Logan now Jones. Moved yeah. over to the offense. Uh, Tyler Ellsbury, you know, how, how do they respond to Josh Volk, you know, from Cedar Rapids Savior? You know, how do they, can they make that push? Can they become, um, you know, push everybody to the point where, hey, we got to play this guy. He's too good. You know, it's too good to sit. We're going to at least have to rotate him and nothing else. Um, Nick DeYoung, can he take that step? You know, th- that's really why I, I thought going into the spring that it's, it's an, obviously a crucial spring, but I think it's also a, a joy for the coaching staff because it's stripping it all down and saying, everybody's got a shot here. You know, there's no Linder bombs, unfortunately, but there's no Tristan Wirfs, but there's enough guys here that when you think that, you know, it's, it, you're going to de- determine your own path, your own destiny, by how you do in the weight room for two months. And then what you do, you know, spring football for a month and then, uh, you know, kind of take it from there. And, and I think they've got, they've got the guts of a really good unit. I just don't know that it'll reach a high level, if you will, until, mm-hmm. you know, may, maybe it gets to November and I'll churn it out. I mean, <laughs> I'm dating myself here a little bit, but in 2008, they looked not very good, to be honest with you, for the first month-ish of the season. They looked a little, and, and then and they had a kind of similar template. They had a very young quarterback in Ricky Stanzi, who was really inconsistent at the time. They had a lot of linemen and they had some injuries and they were young and they're growing. And then, but you know, but you had a Brian Bulaga who's a soft, true sophomore, and Rob Bruggeman who'd come off a knee injury, but was, you know, when he's healthy, he's great. Julian Vanderveld. I mean, you know, so they had some good pieces. By November, they gelled to the point where they were most physical badass offensive line in the big 10 and they had Sean Green who was able just to you know run for six yards a carry and blow people up and have great balance and was the best running back uh in the in the country that year so uh, you know I'm not suggesting they're going to be that but I think the offensive line is capable of that type of performance it's just not going to have at four out of the five positions they're going to have somebody who's played significant time at that position because you've got Obviously, center is the exception because when was Linderbaum off the field? You know, very, very rarely. But, you know, you have Colby and Britt both at guard. You've got Plum. You've got Richmond, you know, and then you've got DeYoung, too. 
So but I'd like to see, I'd really like to see Britt take that step forward. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been, he, he has never really had a great, you know, he's been an injury prone because he tore his ACL in high school and he, you know, he was played too early as a true freshman. And I think it would be a great story, you know, if he can step in, be healthy, you know, he, he might have be the Logan Lee of the offensive line. If that can happen, because Logan Lee was kind of in the same boat on defense where it's just constantly injured, constantly injured, you know, is this guy even going to play? And then all of a sudden, boom, he has a, a, a really solid sophomore season where by the end of the season, he was, he was one of the better defensive linemen in the, the big 10. I Oh yeah. You know, and he shows up now as a leader on a defensive line. That I think this is a great way to switch gears here to the defense. When I look at that defensive line, that's loaded with experience. When you've got a guy like Lucas Van Ness, who's second team after what he did, and he still has a lot of development time before the start of the 2022 season. When you look at what he did in 2021, you know, I think that speaks volumes as to the state of the defensive line. Granted, that first two deep, take it for what it's worth, a lot will change. So, you know, he could end up being a first team, but, you know, that I think speaks a lot to the depth at this area. Yeah, I, I kind of think he's going to end up starting. I, I just, I think he's too I could valuable. see him as a starting end, too. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I think he'll be the starting right end. If I was, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I do think that's his, that's his position. He has some really good skills as a pass rusher. He's got length and quickness and burst and power. He can shift the, 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 the acceleration, the power, which is what you really want on the edge. And he has, he has training and being in the wash pit, you know, and he had seven sacks as a defensive tackle. It's back. You don't hear very often. That's pretty tough to do i mean and going against a lot of big guards and stuff but i mean he really could do a nice job there and so i get i i think what'll probably happen i know joe evans has kind of been in and out for this spring or whatever and and i, I would guess that he would still probably be that designated pass rusher and maybe lucas van ness goes inside on third down um they they kind of ran that nascar package now for three to four years and it's been really effective where some of their um, exterior, you know, their edge guys go inside and then they run basically four defensive ends and, and push the quarterback on passing downs. And I think that's probably where you're set. But I mean, the interesting thing is you've got a lot of solid guys on the, uh, on the offensive line or defensive line that are starting. Um, but the talent is on the, the second. Team. So like John Wagner is, is kind of your tough guy. Mm-hmm. He's not going to get a lot of stats, but, you know, he does what he needs to do. Maybe this year is the year he gets those. Um, Noah Shannon is, <laughs> you know, really a dependable guy, technically sound, does all the things you need him to do, and is really overachieves in some ways based on his size, but he does a really nice job. And, um, you know, Logan Lee, I think, is at a different level. But, <laughs> you know, Joe Evans kind of the same deal um, as Logan. But then you look at the second team, YA Black. When his fundamentals catch up with his body and everything, he's going to be a hell. Of, he's going to and I really think we saw him. flashes of him too last year. I mean, he's he's got the starter kit of a kid that can walk out there and just dominate. Um, you know, because he's bigger than Davion Nixon. 
And, you know, whether he's that proficient, that's hard to say, but I mean, he's just, you know, he, you know, they've had a lot, they've had some, a handful of defensive tackles like that. And he fits that profile. And Lucas Van Ness is, you know, burst off the edge. And I like Keontae Craig too. And, and uh, wait for Aaron Graves. This is the first, uh, first time I walked into a high school and I went and visited him. I've been, I've visited AJ Epineza and all these other guys in high school. This is the first time I went holy bleep when I walked into and I saw him. I'm like, this kid does not look like a 17, 18 year old kid. He looks like he's 23 years old. He just looks like, you know, <laughs> Tarzan, like, you know, Kelvin <laughs> Bell said, it's true. Yeah. And so my anticipation is he plays. So he's just oh, yeah. too good. His film is too good. And so, and maybe it takes him a couple games to kind of find his way into the rotation. But, you know, yeah. I haven't seen him in person personally, but everything I'm hearing, you usually don't hear a coaching staff rave as much about a true freshman as they've been raving about Graves. So, Most of the kids that you see at Iowa defensive line are kind of come in in that 240, 250 range where they're big kids, of course, but then it takes them a year or two or three to kind of bulk up to, you know, you look at Logan Lee and John Wagner now, they're like behemoths. They weren't that way in i mean mm-hmm. you know logan lee was gonna play tight end um but then you look at aaron graves and you're like okay this is different this is body wise not comparing anything else jj watt body wise and mm-hmm. when he was at wisconsin and then, so you're just like oh <laughs> so and then and then aaron even herkin is a good player tough player and yeah he's gonna find a role when he gets in there too i mean he's gonna so, I mean, they can go eight, nine deep and they have different levels of talent and experience and toughness. And, you know, when you're playing a, a Wisconsin, yes, that's when you want John Wagner and you want Noah Shannon and you want Logan Lee being in there all as much as you can uh, because they know that the pulling guards coming their way and they're going to get ear hold if they don't watch for it. But then there's going to be some passing teams that, you know, when you're playing Ohio State, you're going to want the best from Deontay Craig and Lucas Van Ness and Y.A. Black and and Aaron Graves and on and on. So I'm bullish on this unit. I think they could, you know, I, I'm skeptical. Or, but maybe that sounds wrong. But I, I, I'm not sure the offensive line will get there quick enough. The defensive line, I have no qualms. It's going to it's gonna oh, be yeah. there, and it's going to be fun to watch. Well, because you look at it and last year was kind of supposed to be, you know, it's kind of almost a cliche term, but almost the rebuilding year for the defensive line. And you look at the results and, you know, they produce. So when you have a guy like Van Ness who did what he did, I think that probably took people, at least I'd say fans, you know, inside the building is obviously a different story, but I think it took a lot of fans by surprise to see him producing as early as he did and seeing some of those other people produce as early. And you lose Van Valkenburg, but then you have other people coming in. You have other people getting more time. You know, Steck is another person to maybe keep an eye on. Um, so, you know, they've got some options there. And, Obviously, you know, it's easy to be optimistic about some positions and then 
come fall, they get hit by the injury bug. This might be, I hate to say injury proof, but the most, you could lose a guy or two to some injuries and still be in pretty good shape. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to utter those words because that always seems to bite people. And I, and I, I encourage anybody who gets mad if it's you who said that, not me, <laughs> <laughs> but they have enough depth to withstand an injury. And I will say that. And I, and some of the things I like is hearing about a Jeremiah Pittman, who's a 300 pound defensive tackle. If he can, um, if he can enter the rotation, if you can get him 10 snaps a game, I mean, if you can keep these guys to 30 snaps on average, they're going to be so effective in the fourth quarter. And, and Iowa typically plays some really close games against some good teams. And so, you know, in the fourth quarter, when Michigan comes to uh, Kinnick Stadium and it's close and you're rotating guys because, hey, Jeremiah Pittman got in there and he had one tackle in 12 plays. But, hey, in the fourth quarter, we've got Lucas Van Ness in there, you know, pressuring Cade McNamara. Here, go take it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think – their front seven could be a real strength this year because I think the linebacking core could be as good as any in the country. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you have everyone coming back, essentially. I mean, you have Jack Campbell led the country in tackles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's like the Marvel man out there. And, you know, because he's, you know, 6'5", 245, rangy, can tip, can hit, can cover, can power, you know. Kind of a yeah, magic to the ball, too. Yeah, pick six, fumble recovery for a touchdown, you know, forced to fumble at the goal line to turn into a touchback, just did all those things. And, you know, he's he kind of tips the field a little bit. And then Justin Jacobs has incredible athletic ability, um, can help their defense to the point where, you know, Ben Neiman was a pretty good Leo backer who could play slot. Uh, before him, Christian Kirksey could too, but the, but even the league has changed over the last seven, eight years. So he can still play a lot of those cash roles as a four or three. So mm-hmm. you can put him over the walkway and you, know, you got a slot there. And, and as long as you're not really playing man, you're okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, tight end is there. He's fine. He can cover tight end. There's no oh, yeah. tight end in the league you can't cover, um, you know, except maybe the one on the other on the other offense, you know, Samuel Porter. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, and then Seth Benson always gets overlooked, but he's the, he's the prototype for what Iowa does. Take mm-hmm. a two-star from nowhere, Sioux Falls, but, you know, who's going to go to South Dakota State, walks in, works hard, and all of a sudden busts his ass, and now he's the type of guy. I mean, he's one of the more thunderous hitters in the Big Ten. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you they know. didn't have Jack Campbell, I feel like we'd be talking about Seth Benson a whole lot more. Yeah. And with Justin Jacobs, I think if Dean Belton wasn't on last year's team and such a solid option on the cash, maybe we'd see Justin Jacobs a little more. But well, I don't think there's any maybe about it. I think we really would have. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so, you know, this year, usually they run about 75% cash. I think that number is going to drop. I mean, when you have a Justin Jacobs and your cash back or your whatever guy is going to be not as good, you want to get your best 11 on the field, especially against some great competition. Now, 
<laughs> when you're playing Ohio State and Jackson Enigma Smith is is in the slot, you do not want to have Justin Jacobs there. <laughs> you know, unless you are playing, he's playing the flat zone. That's it. Um, but then again, I don't know if you want anybody else there either. <laughs> <laughs> he's Odell Beckham. But, you know, the, the fact is that he can play a lot of snaps. And I think that could be helpful. And then, you know, kind of what, what Seth Wallace said last week, which I found very informative, is now because they have a veteran linebacker board, they can mix and match where they could say, all right, this possession because Minnesota, Illinois, specifically those two, but also Wisconsin, they're going too tight in. They're, they're motioning one. So they got a too tight end formation to, to the, you know, boundary side. Let's get, let's get our kick-ass linebacker over there over the top playing, the, playing Leo. And, mm-hmm. you know, so he can take on the edge as opposed to, no offense to Justin Jacobs, but he might get hit and buried a little bit by, you know, kind of in the wash. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, and one play, one play difference. You know, but one play can win or lose you a game too. Yeah, you know, that's a great point there. And, you know, it gives you some more options. And, you know, I think it'd be good to, you know, also have a little more of that flexibility because you probably don't want to play Jack Campbell quite as many snaps as he played this year. Where workload-wise, that's a lot. And he is the eager guy who wants to be out there for all of that. But you're going to run into some issues if you're relying on people year in, year out to be well into those 900s in terms of numbers of snaps. Yeah, I think it's actually only nine. Yeah, 900s if you're looking at defense only, let alone special teams. I believe it's 1100 something for Campbell last year. Yeah, you don't want to be special. I mean, really, maybe one of the special teams units. But, you know, I, I would say punt return just because it's defensive or like you don't want them on punt um you know you, you've got to be careful there which games can you do that with um and you can't announce when you're going to do it because you know let's take the open i mean south dakota state that's not an fcs opponent that you look at and go okay we're buried you know i mean they mm-hmm. are a, a really good fcs i mean they're the type of team that if they were in the mac they would go to a bowl game Mm-hmm. And uh, they're probably the <laughs> the little brother to North Dakota State, but you know they're still very very good. I'm not saying Iowa can't win by two touchdowns or more, but you know you can't say all right. Hopefully by the third quarter we get Jack Campbell out. It's more like okay, let's if we get an opportunity do it because mm-hmm. I think that's the thing having um, Jay Higgins is really going to be a blessing because he was. He had like 500 tackles a senior year in Indiana. It was just a gross number. But you put him, you know, in the middle, and you have um, you can have Seth Benson in there flanking him, or you can say, all right, we're going to run cash this series, and you can have um, Justin Jacobs play well alongside Seth Benson, or something. You know, you could mix oh, yeah. and match to limit it. You know, the there are games where you're going to want to taper him off, but he's also so damn good, you don't want to take him off field if you can't yeah <laughs> you know you just but I think even if you cut a hundred snaps over the course of the season that would make a difference in terms of wear and tear for them you know the problem is yes you want to do that ideally <laughs> but you know who needs to help do that the offense yeah it can't i can't let minnesota have the ball for 40 minutes yeah that's how you cut snaps 
And if the offense scores more points, you know, even in games against like Illinois, that way he doesn't have to be on the field to intercept that pass to score a touchdown. And somebody oh, yeah. else, you know, or, you know, against a team like that, or, you know, take your pick. Northwestern, that game was way too close. Oh, yeah. That should not have been a 17 to 12 game. Right. That should be a 31 to five, you know, six game, you know. And so in fourth quarter, hey, Jay Higgins, you go out there and do this. No, you piddled around too much on offense. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, you know, and then the secondary is going to be fascinating to watch because there's oh, yeah. a lot of different people involved. And, and the ones who seem to be, the starting calibers. I mean, Riley Moss is going to start, no question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looks like Quinn Schulte at free safety and, and Kayvon Merriweather at strong. And Cash looks like it's up in the air between Castro and uh, and uh, Cooper DeGene. And then finally you look at um, corner. Um, Terry you know, Roberts. With, yeah, I mean, Roberts and the Jamari Harris played really well. So, but Jamar Harris isn't practicing in the spring, so we'll see. I mean, it could be a really interesting competition there. So, yeah, um, you know, and, and then you throw on, you know, Xavier and Wampa and uh, TJ Hall, turn some heads. Yeah, we've been hearing about TJ Hall a couple times now this spring in press conferences and everything. So it's clear he's opening some eyes there. And, you know, when you have a five-star recruit that – it's always a nice luxury to have, especially at a school like Iowa, where that doesn't happen every day. And I, you know, I could see a couple different ways that Wampa fits into the picture there. So I doubt he's a starter. I really don't think he'll get there um, this year. I think he will be next year. I think, you know, my guess is he probably backs up Kayvon Merriweather. And, uh, and I think he could be maybe even playing a little bit both free and strong and kind of be that top reserve potentially. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I mean, cause since Iowa plays kind of too deep that they, it's not, there's not a real decided difference between strong and free the way there is for a lot of other teams that do it because they just play that, you know, or, or half defense. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty interchangeable for the most part. It's just who calls the, the signals. But I do think he's probably going to fit in kind of that template. And then, you know, Quinn Schultz, he's there. You know, where does Cooper DeGene end up playing? That's going to be the question because he's oh, too yeah. good of an athlete to sit. I think yeah. him and him and Wampa, if, if they're the free and the strong at some point. That's, yeah, that's not, a, that's not a pleasant thought for opposing offensive coordinators there. So it's interesting because on paper, you look at the secondary and it's a group that lost three starters, three that were really good players. You look at it with Hankins, Grant, he was hurt for the later parts of the year. So it's almost like they already kind of have gotten accustomed to that loss. But then Jack Kerner, who, you know, is going to have a pretty good shot at, you know, I think he's going to get a training camp spot on an NFL team. And then you have Dane Belton, who I think helped his case a little bit at the combine. And I think it's realistic to expect to hear his name, especially day three. I think it's very realistic to hear him get his name called. So that 4-4-3-40 certainly doesn't hurt. And the ability to play in sub packages and having that linebacker-ish experience, I think is also really helpful for, for Belton. 
So you lose all those people and you're still looking at a pretty good group here. Yeah, I mean, they still haven't, bringing back Riley Moss changes the dynamic. If he wasn't there, then you're going, okay, they've got some holes to fill because you've really got to count on a minimum three corners. Last year, they had to go four deep. You know, mm-hmm. when Moss got hurt for a while and then, you know, Roberts got hurt and then Hankins got hurt. And so, that you know, shoot, by the end of the Citrus Bowl, you had Cooper DeGene out. I mean, yeah. you know, because his Harris got hurt. So you've got, you've got to look to three to four corners and, you know, is, and, and then there are guys right now who are battling for, their lives at Iowa, frankly, you know, guys like Brennan Diaz Fernandez and, and AJ Lawson. And um, if they fall behind anymore, if you get a TJ Hall who leaps over them, you've already had a machine leaps over them, then you've got to start to evaluate your position and team and what's important to you. Uh, but they do have enough, you know, uh, Kerner's going to be tough to replace, mm-hmm. but not impossible to replace, um, you know, kind of like Jake Gervas was before him. You know, a really good player did a lot of good things, but you know that's why you have good depth and you can step in and and I you know as good as Perner is and was and in so many different areas, you know I mean, Cooper DeGene if he takes that role or you know Quinn Schulte has to do that too. Um, so there's some really some value back there, and then I'm anxious to see what the newcomers come in in the in the summer and and how they perform. And uh, but I, I think they've got eight, nine, ten guys that I I think have the potential to play this year. And then special teams will be interesting. Obviously no real surprises when you have Tory Taylor coming back. You kind of know what you're going to get there with the former Big Ten punter of the year. But then kicker is a competition. Um, we talked a lot this week's press conference with LeVar Woods about Holder. So they, for me as a special teams nerd, you know, that was an entertaining press conference there. So Cooper DeGene, maybe also is the holder, maybe possibly that might be a little wishful thinking there, but if you have them there, that would add a wild factor there. I think Tory Taylor is a little more likely, but you know, it's something interesting to ponder for the next few months. I, I got to hand it to LeVar because he planted that seed. And I know, (laughs) (laughs) I know what the message boards are going to be like for this. I know what people are thinking. And, and he, and like he said, eventually I think he caught up to it. And he's like, well, the most important thing is catch, catch it and let somebody kick field goals. And, you know, cause maybe, maybe they'll have one or two (laughs) fakes. You know, it was like 2017, man, like, four or five, but, but yeah, I mean, it does present that opportunity and that possibility. And that's really fun to consider. And wow. You know, you have Cooper DeGene out there who a former high school quarterback, so he can throw a great athlete with the ball in his hands. He can do something with it. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I guess this is the seed that a lot of fans are getting now during this time of year to go, Oh, and then they're going to be so bummed when it's Tory Taylor. I mean, they're just going to be miserable because of that. But, <laughs> but still, you know, <laughs> for the next few months they'll be thinking of that. And, and if I'm Lavar, I'll I'll even play to it. Where in open practice, I'll let him catch it and then run around with it for a minute. You know, just to <laughs> but 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 really, the most important factor by far and away. I mean, 
as you said. You know, you you have Charlie Jones back, Big Ten returner of the year. You have Tory Taylor, who two years ago was the Big Ten punter of the year. So you've got, you know, the the coverage units are outstanding, and they have Terry Roberts back as gunner. You know, you have those guys. It's just going to be great. The question is going to be kicker, and Iowa needs a good kicker. And we, you know, we saw it uh, in 2019 with Keith Duncan. He kicked 29 field goals. He set the Big Ten record, and uh, and I think Iowa's had six games where they have four field goals. You know, uh, they need those. <laughs> yeah. The offense isn't good enough to expect to get, you know, 31 points and four, you know, four of which are touchdown related. I mean, they're just so you're going to need that and. There is no way you can replicate it for a, a, an inexperienced kicker to think I'm kicking at the big house or even Kinnick Stadium. But certainly, I mean, they go to Ohio State for the first time in a century. And, uh, you know, if it's Drew Stevens, if it's Lu- uh, Lucas Amaya, if it's Aaron, uh, Aaron Blom, I mean, what if it's 24-24 like it was in 2009 when it was a de facto Big Ten t- championship game and you miss a 22-yard field goal, you know, that doesn't work very well. And so you cannot yeah. replicate that until you actually do it. And so that's like I, I had that conversation with LeVar last year about Caleb, and he was talking Caleb up, and I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> well, we just believe, you know, and then they come out and do it. But I had a lot of success. okay for Caleb. Out great for Caleb. It worked out great for Keith Duncan, and it worked out great for Miguel Racinos, and and even uh, Marshall Kane, who missed six extra points, but man, he could kick the fifty-seven yarder to win it once. You know, so <laughs> they just have they have all those pieces, and it's just a matter of can they do it? Can they execute it when they need to? In the rain and the wind, like Keith Duncan did, or you know, I don't know. But Iowa plays a lot of close games, so you're going to need that guy to come through, no matter how the, the wind is howling or the fans are bitching or what have you. And I think it'll be interesting, too, Lavar was saying about how he'd like to have a second punt returner as well. So it'll be interesting to see. But obviously, Charlie Jones is the first spot locked up. So, you know, might as well put a master lock on that one. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see who maybe emerges as that other punt returner. Well, you need somebody because last year he got poked in the eye on a kickoff and he put, you know, I'm not even going to say his name. I don't want to get anybody mad, but you put yeah. him in who was the backup punt returner and he drops the punt at Cam Randall Stadium and they take the ball over at the 18-yard line. Yeah. You can't have that. No. He called for a fair catch and drops. You just can't have that. And so, you know, I mean, <laughs> pretty much Cooper DeGene is going to play every position on the team and might as well make him backup punt returner too. <laughs> Uh, you know, secondary. if he's already, you know, gunner, possibly, possibly holder with an asterisk on that one, um, you know, possibly cash, possibly safety, you know, yeah, you know, just have him play every snap. At Make him the Wildcat quarterback while we're at it. Yeah, might as well. Oh, you want to so. see Hawkeye Twitter blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will yeah make the rounds there so (laughs) yeah but you know it'll be an interesting team and you know they need to take a step up when you look at that schedule you've got some tough ones at Ohio State um even at home against Michigan where I look at the crossover games when you draw at Rutgers which granted Rutgers is Rutgers but still on the road um so you've got that you've got then at Ohio State versus Michigan is your three crossovers. 
granted, we thought that the crossovers would be tough last year when it was Indiana, Maryland, and Penn State. And then all three kind of bottomed out. But it looks, I feel like it's a pretty safe bet to say that Michigan or Ohio State will be in that upper echelon of college football and likely in the conversation come December, or at least it should say November. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a little harder to come up with a 10-win season. You could be a lot better team this year than last year and not win 10 games like they did last year. Without a doubt. I mean, this is comparable to what we saw in 2019, which they were as, as good as anybody in the West. They basically lost their showdown game with Wisconsin 24 to 22 at Camp Randall, but they also played Michigan and they lost by a field goal or by a touchdown, uh, 10 to three. And it was a slugfest, 10 to three. Um, they lost to Penn State 17 to 12 at home. You know, so that's the same type of schedule you're dealing with here. Um, you know, Rutgers is not the same Rutgers team that we saw back then. I mean, you know, I mean, they're, they've, they've got a different, mindset so if nothing else you're going to be in a fist fight when you play them I mean you might win I shouldn't but but it might be 24 to 10 and not 30 to nothing get into reserves in the fourth quarter like it was last time except they had an incredible punter out of course but they will truly be winning in that game yeah I mean the Michigan game is one where Michigan hasn't beaten Iowa in Iowa City since 2004 and that was in um, or 2005, I'm sorry, and that was in overtime. Michigan draws out the best of Iowa in Iowa City. It always has. Um, I would expect it to be a freaking insane game um, atmosphere-wise. It's hard to say when it'll be kicked off. I mean, you know, fans seem to think they look at that, oh, that's going to be at night. Well, that, that's not the way it works anymore. Fox. No wants to promote its noon kickoff, big noon Eastern time kickoff as the main game. So it might be there, you know, but I, I have to look at the other teams or the schedule for the other conferences before I make an accurate projection. And, oh, yeah. But Michigan walks in that door, they are going to be the enemy after what happened last year. So they will, they will get the best out of Iowa fan. And uh, so that could be a very close game. I think it will be a close game. That could be uh, bring your earplugs because it could get that loud kind of game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be like Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, Wisconsin comes to town. You, get, you know what you're going to get there. Iowa State comes to town. You know what you're going to get there. Um, Got to go to Minnesota, and Minnesota's starchy. They're pretty good. And mm-hmm. Nebraska is, is, you never know, you know, is this finally going to be the year? I don't know. <laughs> Northwestern. And we've been that, saying, is this finally going to be their year for a couple of years now? You never know. I mean, I think they they lost a lot of pieces, uh, I, but they played Iowa tough last three years. Um, mm-hmm. Northwestern is coming to Iowa City, but they've beaten Iowa the last three times in Iowa City. You know, now they had different personnel from those games. <laughs> but but even when you look at a really down Northwestern team in 2021, they still you know had that one close as we were talking about earlier. So. Well, to, you know, in 2020, the game that decided the West Division, they were down 17 to nothing in the second quarter. And now if the fans were there, it might have, the outcome might have been different. They won 21 to 20, though. They came to Kinnick against a really good Iowa team that was really starting to turn the corner, fell down 17 to nothing right out of the gate, 
and still won with really not much of an offense. And uh, now, granted, it was on the offensive coordinator, but you know the, you, you can do some different things than they did in that game and squeeze out a 23-21 win instead of lose by one. Still, Pat Fitzgerald will have his team ready to play Iowa each and every time, and they will play hard. They may not play well, but they'll play hard. And so I think that's uh, – but all those games are tough. And, you know, going to Purdue, that has not been easy for Iowa to play Purdue under Jeff Brown. Illinois, you know you're going to get a better effort. You know, they're just going to be physical, and, and there's a lot there. Minnesota hates And they could Iowa. actually have their head coach available <laughs> for that one. Yeah. Yeah, Beals will like to be there. Minnesota, you know, like the chant says, who hates Iowa, we hate Iowa. That's you're going to the Twin Cities. So it's not going to be an easy schedule. I do think Iowa is prepared for it, defensively especially. Um, offensively, they got to catch up, you know, because they could, as you said, you know, they could be a better team, but be seven and five because you lose a lot of close games. You know, you lose to Ohio State decisively, um, and then you lose to take your pick out of all your favorite rivals and lose by a field goal to three of them and because your kicker can't kick. It's a difference. You know, uh, going back to Indianapolis and going to the, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, you know, in late December. Yeah, you know, so we could see the one highlight of that would be Iowa fans getting to see potentially the Mayo bath of Kurt Ferentz. So, yeah, I think we'll pass. You know, if we have to, we will, but <laughs> I don't know that that would be the destination that most Iowa fans want to go to is see, uh, you know, <laughs> the most mayonnaise coach get covered in mayonnaise. <laughs> That's what that would be the, the narrative nationally. So. <laughs> and then um, spring practice coming up um, the week after Easter, the kind of big things I'm going to be looking at, quarterback, offensive line. Yeah, I'm going to look at rotations, you know, on defense especially, but also offensive line in particular. Everybody's eyes are going to be on the quarterback, and it's going to get – I don't think there'll be any over-analysis in Hawkeye land. Oh, never. Uh, ever. <laughs> but uh, I do think that the way the offensive line competes against the defensive line will tell me a lot. I mean, if they're not going to win a lot of plays. They just don't. Um and, and that's been really good offensive lines have lost a lot of really good plays against good defensive lines, but how they compete will tell me a lot, you know, can they get some push once in a while? Can the running backs get some room once in a while? Um, they were really, really pissed. The defense was because last year at kids day, the offense actually played well. <laughs> one, <laughs> one coach told me that's the first time that happened all year. <laughs> it's been a bloodbath the other times, but today, you know, so they were pissed off. So, you know, by the end, it was, you know, they, they look pretty good. Offense, of course, did not. So, um, you know, we're going to chart all the plays of the quarterbacks, mm -hmm. chart, um, see how everything goes. And I'm anxious to find out, and I'm anxious to overreact like everybody else. Yeah, and then, you know, we'll be brought back to reality in a couple months later. We'll see. You know, that's yeah. why they play the games. And then Linderbaum had his own pro day today, or not today, this week. Mm -hmm. um on monday and you know i think he did enough there um obviously it would have been nice for him if he was able to participate in either the combine drills or the team pro day but holding his own individual pro day i haven't heard a number as to how many scouts were there but i'm sure with a first round talent he probably drew a handful at least um 
So yeah, I think he did enough there. Yeah, you know, he's over 300 pounds and he wrote a, ran a sub 540. That's really about it. All I needed to do. Um, the film's there. He's done enough. He's, you know, is he's as good as any center in the game. And that includes the NFL when it comes to zone blocking. Um, if you're running a wide zone offense, you need, you know, he's the type of center because he could get out. He can, he can uh, uh, reach block a three technique. Nobody else can really do that. Um, he can go out to get to the second level because he's so quick and agile and destructive when he gets there. Um, center is not considered a priority position. That's kind of hurts him a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why you don't see a lot of mocks with centers. They just, you know, it's like, uh, it's not sexy enough or whatever. But when you got a good one, you want to keep him. And I, I think, and maybe, one of his problems is there's been a lot of really good centers um, that come in the second round, like, <laughs> and uh, you know, like Creed Humphrey and what have you. But I, I think he's, I think he's a late first rounder. I think he's probably somewhere either Green Bay to Cincinnati. Um, if he gets in the late twenties, it wouldn't shock me at all if like Cleveland came up for him or Chicago came up for him um, because those are teams that could use a center like him and, and, uh, you know, so if he's available at 27, 28, you know, somewhere around there, uh, you know, I could see the team coming up and getting him. So I You're think a lot of value for him at 27 or 28, because, you know, that's a player that you, you kind of know what you're going to get with him to a large extent. Well, barring injuries, you know what you're going to get with him. Yeah. And those are unpredictable. So, you know, that, that's, you, that's kind of like the asterisk or the qualifier you always throw out there, yeah. you know, injuries aside, because football is full of them. But mm-hmm. if he can, if he's healthy, he's a plug and play for 10 plus years guy for somebody and play at a high level. I think he's a pro bowl guy in year one or two, mm-hmm. um, not being hyperbolic. I just think he's that good. Oh, yeah, no. And, and so I think in some ways, you know, and, and he may not get picked by a team in their current spot. I can see like there's going to be so much movement this year. I can see New Orleans, for instance, coming up to seven where the Giants sit. And so the Giants will be at 16 and the Giants will be like, you know, they need a center. Yeah. I mean, that's where they pick him. or the Jets move down. They pick him, you know, somewhere in the teens. Or if he kind of floats around and, you know, somebody, you know, Green Bay would be smart to grab it. Um, he met with the Packers in Indianapolis. So, you know, it's just, uh, you know, that there is a lot of different possibilities. I think it's just a matter of, you know, just hold on. It's like riding a wild Mustang, you know, don't get, <laughs> don't get too high or too low because, um, you know, I've had a couple of players tell me, you know, Marvin McNutt specifically <laughs> called the draft the best worst day of my life because you're spending all, you know, and his was a Saturday, but you're just dying every minute until that call can fall on and it's the best moment of your life and it's just and with Linderbaum especially granted he is such a grounded guy so if there's anybody to have to deal with this you'd pick him based on how grounded he is but you know I could see it he's kind of a unique case where I wouldn't be shocked if he went 14 I wouldn't be shocked if he went 29 And that's a pretty wide range there. And, you know, if he goes 14, you can point to A, B, and C. And if he goes 29, you can point to X, Y, and Z. Right. And 
that makes it, I think, a little more interesting for him. And if he falls out of the first round, which sometimes things snowball and people don't notice, uh, I've been at a draft. It's sometimes things get away from you and then, and everybody kind of regathers themselves and recoups and then they go, holy bleep, this guy's still around. Then 33 is when he's going to go 33 to 34, you know, mm-hmm. in the next day. So I mean, he's going to go very, very quickly. It's just, um, but you know, I, I think he's going to be first round. I do think somebody will come up and get him if he's, if he's falling, you know, to 28, 29, I'm, I, I would be surprised if Green Bay let him go with two picks in the 20s. Uh, but, and then uh, the other, I think two other guys get drafted for sure. And I think Belton's probably about a fifth round guy, maybe mm-hmm. anywhere from late fourth to early sixth with him. Goodson, probably more sixth to seventh round. Running backs are just not valued as much. Uh, you know, you, you look at Linderbaum and it's kind of the same situation with Brees Hall. Um, first round talent, but you know, for not necessarily first round priority. And then finally, um, you know, I think Van Valkenburg and, and Kerner have an outside shot. Because sometimes it just depends on do you like the guy or not. If you have a lot of picks in the seventh round, do you feel like you want them? I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors there. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little more unpredictable when you get to some of those later rounds. And I think Goodson helped his case with the combine. Really. Yeah, he did. You know, and that, that, that's important because that's kind of the difference between him and let's say Akron Wadley a few years ago. Akron did not have a great time at all. And that, that's the difference between getting drafted and not is if you're a smallish running back. And I mean, Goodson does all the right things um, weight wise and stuff, but he's still 5'9 plus than 200. You better run fast. And he did. So he's going to, and he's a good, you know, character guy so I, I think he would go it's just it's it might be a, a might be a grueling day for him. <laughs> I, you know yeah might, I think it could happen in the fourth round or it could happen in the seventh but I, my yeah. guess is somewhere around the sixth yeah and I could see a situation where maybe four or five with that combine with those combine numbers but it didn't help him that you know the team didn't always look so great this year and a lot of that was the offensive line being so young but you look statistically at his yards per carry in September, October, and that's not what you'd expect of an NFL running back. And out of circumstances, largely beyond his control, but I don't think that helps him. No, he's, he's, there are a lot of issues there, and, and he's had to go through them. You know, he's had to sit there and watch tape. What happened here? You explain it, you know, well... You know, okay, the, the tackle didn't get any push on the edge, didn't set the edge. There was no, there were no cutback lanes. Why did you then dance with three steps and, you know, juke and then get tackled for a two yard loss instead of sticking your neck, neck in there and going, you know, th- those are things he's going to have to answer. But he, he's also a very dynamic running back who does a lot of really good things. So I, my guess is, like with any player in those positions over the final 100 picks, it's about who likes you, you mm-hmm. know, who maybe brought you to their facility, who had the conversation, who saw you on film and says, yeah, he's probably our, he could be our number three running back and do a couple of things for us. And he fits this role. And then there are other, you know, salary cap issues to 
personnel issues. How much have you spent here? Are you rebuilding? Are you not? Do you have 15 picks or are you three? You know, just stuff like that. So yeah, it should be fun. Yeah. Well, Scott, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.